Hey, what's going on, everybody? I'm Dorian, and I want to welcome you to Highway to Scale, a podcast in which we explore the ins and outs of business success and where we cover topics like validating business ideas, exploring different management styles, building products, launching them on the market, raising capital, and scaling your business. If this is your first time listening to Highway to Scale, here's a big fat welcome to our little community. And while we're getting to know each other, I want to ask you to click on that subscribe button and add us to your podcast playlist so you'll get notified when we publish new interviews. On the other hand, if you've been following us since the previous season, you know that we love and appreciate your support, so it's amazing to have you back with us as we explore new companies and their business strategies. In today's episode, I'm joined by Vasily, who is the founder of Blazor Capital and the co-founder of Norgreen. Blazar Capital is a company builder in the internet space. They create ideas, partner with entrepreneurs and CEOs to establish the companies behind them, and they provide investments and expertise to quickly achieve global leadership. They only focus on ideas with truly global scale and innovative business models that can disrupt the markets they operate in. And Norgreen is on the other hand, one of those companies. It's a watch brand with a rich Scandinavian tradition that interlinks purpose and functionality with timeless aesthetic appeal that can be passed on to the next generation. As for Vasily, he is a Danish e-commerce enthusiast and a digital entrepreneur. Prior to co-founding Blazor Capital and Norgreen, Vasily was the head of growth at The Hut Group, which is a vertically integrated digital-first consumer group retailing its own brands within the health and beauty space. In this podcast, Vasily will tell us more about the work of startup incubators, as well as the process of building and scaling e-commerce businesses. So let's cut the intro and let's jump right into the episode to see what Vasily can teach us about building a business. Vasily. It's so great to have you on Highway to Scale. Welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Dorian. It's a pleasure to be here. Uh, let's start with the basics. Can you tell me a little bit more about your entrepreneurial beginnings? How did you decide, you know, okay, I want to start my own company? Sure, Dorian. So basically, I've had this, um, this inner vision since I was a child. You know, since I was uh, back in elementary school and, and high school, I've, I've always wanted to, uh, to build my own companies and... Uh, and even back then, I remember that I, I bought products from, from China and the US, everything from polo shirts to sunglasses, mm-hmm. to caps, and I, I sold them on, 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 on eBay and the Danish equivalent of that, etc. So I've always had that inner desire to start my own thing. But I only like really materialized it back in, in, at scale back in 2017 when I, when I quit my job at uh, at the HUD Group in uh, in the UK, uh, in order to then start uh, start mm-hmm. Blazor Capital. So, before I, I went into this entrepreneurial journey, I um, I did my university university degree, basically did a bachelor's and and a master's degree, and and the master's I did purposefully in in Berlin in Germany, in order to be in an entrepreneur entrepreneurial environment. Um, at least in my opinion, Germany, oh, sorry, Berlin. And London are the two entrepreneurial capitals in, in Europe. So being in one of them to study was was obvious to me. So I did that, and, and then I went on to to the UK uh, when I finished mm-hmm, my, my mm-hmm. degree to, to work for the HUD Group, which is uh, also an, an e-commerce group that basically acquires e-commerce brands that are still relatively small and and then scale them. So I knew that was a place where I was able to learn a lot when it comes to building something 
models from scratch and then scaling it into a, a material level. Um, so my entire kind of career path, sorry, academic path and career path was organized around the fact that I wanted to build an entrepreneurial foundation to then at some point start, at some point start my own thing. And then 2017, mm-hmm, I then did mm-hmm. the jump and, and, and quit my job and, and uh, build a um, blazer capital uh, from scratch together with, uh, with two of my friends, uh, Christian and, and Pascar. Tell me a little bit more about Blazer Capital. What is it that you actually do? Yes, so Blazer Capital is uh, essentially an an e-commerce incubator. So we're an incubator that uh, incubates D2C uh, e-commerce brands from scratch within uh, within categories that have a substantial market size and fulfill a lot of other criteria that we have in, in mind when choosing uh, what to what to operate with. So our mm-hmm. core business is, is organized around incubation and building companies from scratch. But we do also have an investment leg that allows us to invest into a D2C brands also, where we then have a not a majority stake, but still a substantial minority. Uh, in addition to this, we also focus on, on tech and uh, in particular uh, uh, B2B SaaS within the e-commerce universe as well. So that we have mm-hmm. internally that our, in, that our brands can then also um, uh, leverage. So that's like in a nutshell, the core model of Blazor. So why did you focus on e-commerce primarily? So, I mean, e-commerce is obviously a, a, a very, very fast-growing uh, industry and has only a um, market and has, has only been accelerated as a, as a function of, uh, of, of the pandemic. So when we started back in, in 2017, when we all quit our jobs and, uh, and, uh, and decided to go into this space, it was obviously uh, a space with a, with a very, very big potential. There's a lot of companies that was built from scratch within, within the space that reach mm-hmm. substantial sizes and, and levels. It's extremely uh, data-driven. It's extremely scalable, uh, something that, that, that we also very uh, very strong in, uh, myself and my, my, my co-founder. So to us, it was an obvious space to, to be in, but also because this is where we have our experiences, right? So again, I, I worked at the HUD group before, before starting this, uh, where I focused on, on scaling uh, D2C brands mm-hmm. online globally. Um, Christian also worked in consulting, focusing on on um, on, on e-commerce to a very large extent, and, and Pascal did, did the same. So we had a we had a very strong background within this, and it's also something that we actually have have a passion for. So the combination of opportunity and, and interest was uh, was was something that made us made us obvious uh, to to kind of jump into this space. What would you single out as some of the most important milestones? that you achieved with Blazor Capital? I mean, you started in 2017. That's five, year, five years now that you've been active. What are some of the big wins? Yes, I mean, we started, uh, we, we, we all uh, quit our jobs, and I think it was June 17 or something. And then we, we obviously had to create mm-hmm. our business model and make sure we had uh, the, the strategy and, and, and the vision, everything in place. We spent around uh, three to four months to kind of ideate on what exactly are we going to be and also figure out what should our first company be? Because Blazor is just a shell, mm-hmm. right? that's just a mother company. We started to build companies within Blazor. And, and at that okay. point, we didn't have any capital to, to just hire other executives to build these companies. So we did it ourselves. And this is where Northgreen got born. So basically, Northgreen was the first case that was built within Blazor Capital, uh, where all, all the, you know, the three of us, we, we, we focused uh, full time on it. Uh, and Northgreen was is a, a designer watch company that focuses on high quality designer watches that has a very strong sustainable focus so essentially what we're trying to do with North Green is to create kind of the equivalent of, of, of Patagonia but within the watch industry so mm-hmm. 
And great, great. That, that case went live in the beginning of 2018, and we already hit uh, the milestone of 14 million, 15 million USD in revenue in the second full financial year. So that nice. is to me the biggest milestone we achieved with Blazor because that also allowed us to do a lot of other interesting things, right? It, it, it showed that we're able to build brands from scratch that actually have a reason to be. We showed that we can build a brand that is also very scalable to a level that is, at least in our opinion, extremely high. I mean, um, from zero to, to 15 million, two financial years is quite rapid growth. And based on that playbook that we then built for that brand, we, we, we were then able to take those learning and apply into other companies that we then built from scratch, right? So so since Norgreen, mm-hmm. we've also built um, Scandinavian Biolabs, where we also have three amazing co-founders that are part of that brand. We have been co-creating Chamberlain Coffee in the U.S., We've been co-creating Messy Weekend that also have two fantastic founders uh, on board, um, et cetera, right? So now we really have a playbook for, for how to, 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 to scale brands. And, and we're doing this essentially through a novel approach to, to doing cross-border e-commerce. How does that process work? You, you mentioned that you have multiple companies within your portfolio. Let's, let's call it that. So what is it? You come up with an idea and then you look for founders who will be building that idea. You help them out, you know, with... I don't know, uh, hiring the team, connecting them with uh, potential investors, or is there some other process that uh, that comes into play? No, that is essentially the, the, the approach. So we identify the, the ideas initially based on a lot of things. So we look at, at as an example. First, first we, we might have ideas inspired by other cases somewhere else in the world, right? Where we see, okay, there's something very mm-hmm. interesting here. Does this make sense to create in, in Europe in a modified way? And is this something that we even have a passion for? Because we we, mm-hmm. we, don't, we we don't only want to build based on opportunity. We also want to build based on something we have a personal interest in. So the combination is super important to us because without without that, the passion will not be there and the interest will not be there. So when we when we spot an idea, we then evaluate what is the opportunity of it. And here we look at things like the global market size of that kind of the category the growth rate of the category, both globally, but also in the different in the, in the different uh, regions of, of the world. We look at um, the uh, the repeatability of the products. So is it something that's repeatable? Is it a one-time purchase? Can it be applied through a subscription model or, or, or not? What is the return mm-hmm. rate? As an example, fashion, especially horizontal fashion, have a tendency to have very high return rates, reaching 60%, 70%. We don't want. We ideally don't want to work with that because to us that is as much an operational game as as it is a branding game, brand marketing game, and we're definitely mm-hmm. on the branding and marketing side. Even though we also have a strong operational foundation, uh, we look at things uh, as you know the, the margins on, on the products from Cox to uh, to to RRP. Uh, we look at the weight. We don't want to work with brands ideally that have products that are too heavy because that's going to increase the burden and the cost on the supply chain. So we look at a, a, a lot of variables and then assess, is this something that fits into our sweet spot? Uh, and if it is, mm-hmm. then we then continue the, the journey of the assessment of, assessment of of whether we want to build a brand or not. And it's the same kind of logic we also have when we invest into an e-commerce company, right? We also look at a lot of these things to, to then assess, does it make sense or does it not make sense to be a part of that company? So are you always the ones who come up with the idea for a new product? Or are you open to, you know, working with founders who have a great idea have you know domain knowledge and they come come up to you and say okay i have this great idea 
I want to work with you to build that company into something great. We're definitely also interested in that. And uh, we do have a big pipeline of, of, of ideas coming into, into our system. Uh, so whenever we see something where we, where we think this is interesting, we, we always take uh, the discussion uh, with uh, the founders who, who are pitching the idea. But as of today, we haven't built, uh, we have done it on an, on an agency level, but not on a product level. So we are open mm -hmm. to it, but it's not something that we do at scale. So are you looking to, you know, have this company in your portfolio for the long time? Or are you already, you know, when you start the company, already planning an exit to, you know, have, I don't know, a, a lot of people say, you know, three to five years We're going to build that and then we're going to exit, use all that money to invest into some other products that we want to build. I mean, we have a quite flexible model in terms of what we want to do from an exit perspective. Um, but I mean, at, at some point, we, of course, would like to to to, to exit some of, of our brands to get a return on our investment and all the time and effort we've put into the cases. But it's, it's mm -hmm. not like we have a fixed timeline where we say it has to happen within three years or it has to happen within five years. We are more... Uh, open to it's kind of we, we, we wait until the moment is right when the company is ready for it to be taken on by other people by, by, by another entity to, to bring it on to the next level uh, when it's mature enough to for, for kind of the the founders within the brand to also maybe be able to step out over time if that's what they want so I mean there's a lot of things that go, go, goes into this decision and we at least don't, don't in our uh, model have a, a strict timeline in terms of when and where the brands have to be exited When it comes to, you know, hiring those co-founders who will be guiding that new company, uh, what kind of people do you want to be uh, guiding that, that new company? Are there some, you know, serial entrepreneurs that have already had some companies or are you willing to, you know, uh, look at a wider variety of, of people for those positions? That's a very good question and something we've discussed a lot uh, internally as well. I mean, we've tried to hire a lot of different uh, characters or types of type, types of people over time. Mm -hmm. And what we've definitely found, found is that uh, ideally we should always have uh, two to three co-founders in a case. Having a, a case with, with only one founder is, is quite tough. Being, being on that journey uh, alone is, is, is really not easy. And we've really uh, seen that ourselves with, with some of our cases that it's, it, is just, it is just better to have a partner or, or two. So that's number one. Two is that we, we've also found it's very good to have two characters that obviously can coexist very well with each other but also are different enough, enough to have really different perspective on things and can take on different work streams what we have found is that the combination of having as an example a consulting slash banking type of person that's really hardworking, data-driven analytical problem solving is extremely strong if you next to this person also have a super entrepreneurial character That's, that is really fast-moving, creative, um, kind of sales-focused, executing. Mm -hmm. Those two is, is very, very strong. And it's also how we see ourselves in our partner group, right? I mean, we are, we are three co-founders, but we are four uh, major, major partners with, with our CFO also. And mm -hmm. as an example, me and, and Christian, are, I would argue, are very kind of fast moving uh, executing type of entrepreneurs that just want to reach kind of the, the 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 next level and want to bring on the next idea whereas christian and sorry whereas pascal and michael the cfo are two of the more conservative types right so we always have this mm -hmm. analogy that if the four of us were to jump out of an airplane christian and i will do it without the parachute and the other two had to catch us <laughs> yeah, i think but how do you ensure that you know the relationship between the the co-founders remains strong 
going into a business with a co-founder is great because you have that additional support from the side. But what if something breaks between the two of them? I mean, we haven't had that in any of uh, of our brands where it was on a personal mm-hmm. level. We, have, we haven't had that. If there is a brand where the founders have some sort of friction, uh, having a feedback sessions on a regular, regular basis where the two individuals actually meet face-to-face and they discuss the problems that they have, right? They're really open to one another. What is it that they are insecure about? What is it that they are uncertain about? What is it that they are unhappy about? Being open about it, being kind of um, being being open to discuss it uh, face to face with the other person, is something that I think is key to to overcome these issues. I think in general, it's super unpredictable how things turn out. You know, even the I've heard stories of of, of companies being co created by two of two 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 people who are best friends, and they yeah, after yeah. years leave being you know extremely hostile to one another, never talking to each other once again. So. These things happen, and you know, when you when you look at these scenarios where it's 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 actually based on two friends that initially were best friends, um, mm-hmm. just it, it just seems to me that that the outcome of, of these journeys often are extremely unpredictable and uh, and and something you just can't you can't resolve in advance. So I think in general, whenever there is a problem, whenever you feel that something is coming up, address it right away. Don't leave it hang. Don't leave it hang. Mm-hmm. Open about it, um, but. Fortunately, it's not, it's not something we've had major problems with historically in, in, our, in our individual brands. So can you tell me a little bit more about Blazor and, you know, the big vision behind, behind the company? What do you wish to achieve, let's say, in five years, if you can, if you can say it like that? Our vision is to create the next um, big Scandinavian case, uh, incubator case, right? Company builder case. Mm-hmm. We, want to, we want to create something, something amazing coming out of this region. We see a lot of... We see a lot of Incubators, company builders, investment companies coming out of cities like Berlin and, and London and, and, and Barcelona, yeah, yeah, yeah. even Stockholm, they're quite ahead of, 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 of Copenhagen. And, um, and, and what we really try to do is to build the next, the next big uh, case within this universe coming out of, out of Copenhagen and, and also Scandinavia as a whole. So that's definitely, definitely the vision. Of course, creating a, a case that is uh, that is uh, in, in, that is known on, on a European level, on a global level, is something we would love to achieve as well, and it's also something that I think is 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 an option considering that we are operating on an extremely global scale. The major majority mm-hmm. of sales is as an, as an example taking place in Asia and the US right now. Uh, so, so that is that is of course something we'd love to, to aim for. But right now, the goal is to create the next the next big uh, incubation case coming out of uh, out of Scandinavia. What do you see as some of the you know biggest competitors in this company building space? I think I think yeah, as you say, it's it's very um, it's quite fragmented, and they all position them, everyone position themselves in their own unique way. You know, a lot can be seen yeah, as being yeah. on the same from a kind of consumer point of view, but if you actually look at the the business model and system, they are they are very different. Um, or they they're very similar. So what we are most similar to most likely is. Is a, a fusion of the Hut Group and Rocket Internet. The Hut Group, mm-hmm. they, just like us, they own work with e-commerce, right? So they own work with with D2C brands within certain categories, just like us. We have certain criteria within the D2C brands that we are we are operating with. However, yeah, yeah. Uh, the Hut Group they own 100 of all the the cases that they have, so they always buy the companies that they are involved in 100. Whereas Rocket Internet, they incubate uh, both e-commerce cases, but also cases beyond that. Where they start off at, I think, eighty percent, then twenty percent are given to founders, and then over time, Rocket's shares are diluted because they get 
investors in from a bottom-up perspective investing directly into the yep, cases yep. where we are at, 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 at blaze is kind of an in-between position between rocket internet and uh, and, and the hub group but there are a lot of a lot of very interesting accelerated type of, of companies in in europe and especially the us i mean us obviously why combinators is a very strong case mm-hmm. but we also have entrepreneur first in in london we have we have tech stars we have we have i mean we have we have a variety of these cases all over all over the world. So I think there's a lot of interesting companies to be inspired by. There are a lot of interesting companies to follow, uh, and I think this is a space that is only going to become bigger uh, over the next coming years. We talked about Nordring. Uh, can you explain me on on that example? How does this entire process look like? What do you as Blazer? What what do you do to help a company like Nordgreen, You know, uh, grow, scale, and and reach the level they they reach now. So Nordgreen is a little different than the other case that we have because they were actually built by, the, that company was built by the Blazor partners, right? The Blazor founders. Um, mm-hmm. But but if you look at uh, the other cases that we have internally, what, what we usually do is that we build the case from scratch in, initially, either uh, without the founders that we bring on board or with the founders. It varies from case to case. Um, mm-hmm. But we then, we then initially... Uh, Build the brand. You know what is what is what is the brand about? What's the what's the what's the product assortment? What is the exact positioning that we want to have, uh, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. We then make sure that the. I mean, we actually have an entire playbook. This is a quite major playbook, but in a nutshell, we we yeah, have yeah. the whole the whole the whole positioning of the brand, the, the product assortment, and and and, and, and uh, the quality and the manufacturing of this. Then we also have the entire operational infrastructure. Here we have a central system in Blazor that the brands can can utilize. So we have a mm-hmm. setup of, of warehouses both in in, in, in Europe, uh, Asia, and the US that our brands can great, and great. be plugged plug into. We then have our e-commerce platform that we we launch all the the brands on. We have not done anything revolutionary here. I mean, we are using Shopify because they have created a platform that is really really good uh, from an off-the-shelf mm-hmm. perspective. However, we have uh, customized fronts front ends for all of our brands basically. So yeah, our yeah. central tech team in Blazor then helps the brand that we build and that we that we create build their own website to make sure that it fulfills the requirements of the brand. Uh, that can differ from time to time. As an example, in the case of North Green or Messy Weekend that sells eyewear, that's a standard, uh, the standard e-commerce website where you kind of you buy products on a one-off basis. You might come back in the future and buy another pair, but it is single purchase purchase every single time. Whereas Scandinavian Bio Labs, which is a a hair loss company is organized around subscription, which means the entire user mm-hmm. journey from initial kind of uh, exploration to purchase has to be really optimized to uh, result in high level subscriptions over time. So depending on the case yeah, you yeah. build, and this kind of this this uh, universe will, will look differently, the e-commerce universe for each case. And then we have all the the other elements related to 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 to, to an e-commerce business, right? The whole aftercare customer service, like. Uh, we have we have the whole uh, production setup that we also that's obviously in the, in the initial phase, but we have contacts mm-hmm. within a lot of categories all over the world. So at the end of the day, there's a lot of knowledge and a lot of partnerships and a lot of uh, platforms in Blazor that can then be utilized when creating a brand, but also when scaling a brand over time. And when it comes to financing those companies, do you as Blazor invest in them directly, or are you looking to attract outside capital for those new companies? It's kind of it's it's a mix. Uh, usually, we mm-hmm. invest directly in Blazor in the beginning. So Blazor 
builds the brand and that builds the brand and Blazor finances the brand and Blazor is always behind the brand whenever something is required in the short term. But when the brand mm-hmm. reaches the next level and requires a bigger funding round, then yes, Blazor could take that round uh, alone. But what we usually do is to, to, to look for a co-financing partner who can then also be involved in, in, the, in, in, in that investment. You've been in the space for, for a long time when it comes to attracting that, that outside capital. What do you see as the most important aspects of that? I think, I mean, there's, there's obviously a lot of variables that, 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 are, that are important here. But when, when attracting capital from the outside, I think number one, you need to really have a bulletproof team. You need to show that this team can really go through anything and can, can, can reach anything. Um, I think the, the business model is extremely important that you really have a clear uh, the clear, have a clear model on, on what it is you, you, you're building and what it is you, you want to achieve and how you want to, to, to achieve it. Um, I think it's important that you have a strong proof of concept that you've really showcased that whatever you're building has a reason to be, that there is a potential for it to scale and reach the level that you have a vision about. So showing that you are actually, you know, Coming up with, with with having an idea, raising capital for it, but having shown that it that it has a reason to be and have a have proven the concept is is relatively tough, and uh, you're gonna you're gonna give up a big chunk of mm-hmm. your at, at this stage. So I think reaching a level where you can you definitely you definitely have proven that that this is something that that can reach uh, uh, the the next level is, is is super important, right? So I mean it, it also depends on on what's yep, yep. the issue and is it pre seed, is it seed, is it series A, is it series B? Is obviously some very very different very different uh, trends that we're talking about here. Uh, okay, Vasily. Uh, we talked a bit about Blazor, as as you said, the the, the core the core company. Uh, I want to focus a little bit more on Nordgreen. Uh, can you tell me a little bit more about the plans for that company? The vision for Nordgreen is really to become the most liked, sustainable watch company in the world. Essentially, right? We are we are trying to to build what Patagonia is in in, in mm. out, outdoor in outwear and, and fashion within within the the the. Uh, accessory space because right now it is yep, watches. Yep. there's been watches for the past five years but we are also going to enter other accessories like jewelry etc in the future so that's kind of mm-hmm. the goal is to 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 own this space we want to do this not just on a on a national level or regional level but on, on a global level and this is also why that when we launched north green back in the days we had a global approach from the very beginning and this all ties back to the the business model of Blazor that I mentioned at the beginning, we always try to create international leading brands brands through our uh, novel cross-border e-commerce strategy. So when we started Not Green, we used uh, we used a localized approach to enter, entering new markets. Mm-hmm. Every new market that we, the, we entered had a fully localized website. We decided on the markets based on variables like the market size, the growth rate, etc. And then we yep, created yep. infrastructure um, needed to kind of convince consumers in those markets to to convert on the website. So in Germany, as an example, we owned the domain nogreen.de. Everything was in German. Mm-hmm. You uh, shopped in, in euros. You could convert in, uh, in through German pay- payment methods like Sufort and SEPA. Uh, you had German uh, content, German uh, customer service. Like basically, when you mm-hmm. as a German consumer, there was no reason to think that this company was not German. And this is the, the yeah, position, yeah, yeah. Uh, or at least German Germany positioned. And this is what we we we, we did in all the markets that, that we entered, and in my opinion, is a core reason for why we were able to grow this fast. We created this infrastructure that 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 allowed people to have a localized shopping journey, 
And then, then the marketing that we did in addition to this also had a completely localized approach. So we always use the marketing channels and the marketing strategies that local brands they are doing in those markets. And of course, Germany, Denmark, UK, US are very similar when it comes to a marketing perspective. But if you look at mm-hmm. Asia, Japan, South Korea, uh, Taiwan, China, very different approach that you have to, to yeah, market. Yeah, completely right? different. Completely different channels. And we had to use them from the beginning to hit the, the consumers in the right way to get them onto our websites, onto an infrastructure that they uh, felt comfortable with, right? So that was the, what we did and this is what we, we're still doing. Um, in order in order to to, to create a, a global brand with North Green. So right now it is it is it is a watch company, it's a designer watch company with a very strong focus on sustainability. We've won a lot of design awards, as an example, the IF Design mm-hmm. Award, the Red Dot Design Award, Good Design Award in, in Japan. Yeah, I mean that is essentially what we're trying to achieve. So uh, a lot of our listeners are European. Uh, what would you say are some of the things they need to know if they wish to expand their companies? To the US or let's say Asia, uh, in addition to you know marketing differences, you basically need to really execute in a way that's completely uh, local to the way that the consumers, to in a way so that the consumers used to to to, to the journey journey mm-hmm. that they're going through, right? So marketing is 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 one thing in terms of the channels that you're using, but it's also how you can communicate. Um, Campaigns, as an example, are very, very different in, in Asia than in Europe. I'll say Europe and the US have a lot of synergies. So it's not like you have major differences there. So if you already have yep, a company yep. and you have started off in Europe, I think scaling to the US is not going to be the biggest problem from a marketing perspective. Uh, here it's more about the operational game. How to make sure that you that you can get products from A to B really quickly, right? It's a very, very, very big country. So if you have a warehouse in California, getting products in New York is going to take a lot. Can can take a long time. Or if you have you mm-hmm. have a warehouse in the north and have to ship to the south, so I think that's equally. It's entering the U.S. If you're a European brand already have penetrated the European market, is as much uh, is probably more so an operational and more so a legal game than it's a marketing game. Mm-hmm. The marketing strategy and the way you approach consumers will not change substantially. Asia, however. Is, is very, very different because, first of all, you might have to use completely different different platform to reach the customers. If you want to enter China, having your own website is not really the way to go, right? Here you need to use uh, Tmall, you need to use Taobao, you need to use Marketplace, mm-hmm. JD, and then you need to use local marketing channels in that country like uh, uh, Baidu and WeChat and Little Red Book, uh, etc. So there you really need to mm-hmm. do differently. Japan, as an example, or South Korea, there you can have your own websites, have it on Shopify. But the way you approach mm-hmm. them, they also have to be different. You know, they're using, for example, in Japan, they're using Line as one of the major apps. In South Korea, they're using Kakao Friends or Kakao Talk. So, I mean, using those platforms in Asia is super important to reach your, your, your customers. So, I think if you're entering the Asian markets, you really need to think about what you're doing in, in terms of how you are, you're, you're, you're approaching consumers. If you're entering the US, uh, it's not that big of a, dif- of the, of a difference if you're already uh, European-based. Uh, okay, Vasily. Uh, I want to talk a little bit more about you. Uh, you as a founder of those companies. Uh, can you tell me uh, more about you know your operational day-to-day activities? How do you split your time between different companies that you founded? 
I mean, right now I, I spend, to be fair, most of my times on on North Green still because it is the biggest uh, company in in our group. But we do also have weekly meetings mm-hmm. with some of our other brands where we just catch up with uh, the founders to see what 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 they're up to and what the status is and give our input to how they can how they can uh, yeah uh, do better and, and reach the next level if we feel that we have uh, the, the the right input at the given time. I think right now, especially, I mean, my focus is is really organized around the whole e-commerce side of things, the whole marketing mm-hmm. side of things things and to a, to a certain extent also the the the, the the product development and i think right now we are at a, in a time where everything is becoming becoming much more complicated uh you know we have ios 14.5 that really messed up uh track yeah yeah targeting for for a lot of brands out there we have changes in, in the cookie policy coming up we have prices exploding from a cpm cpm perspective and cpc perspective um, on both Google, on Facebook, and also the smaller channels like Snapchat, uh, TikTok, Pinterest, etc. So right now, it's it's really a, ch- a time to to understand all these problems and and understand how the brand can restructure itself to get back into a level where they can have the returns on the investments that they had two years ago. That's what I'm mm-hmm. mm-hmm. right now to figure out what that next kind of next strategy is. Uh, and I think to many, it's 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 still an unknown. It's still very blurry. We know no matter what, performance marketing is becoming more complicated. We need to go back to back to basics and, and think of marketing as how we did 15 years ago. Um, but <laughs> yeah, how to yeah. do that and where to do that is something that most marketeers, I think, are still struggling to to understand. And this is kind of where. Where at least a lot of e-commerce uh, enthusiasts and specialists, they are they are energizing their time right now. I'm sure. What, what do you see as some of the paradigm shifts that will be happening within the e-commerce space that might, you know, really disrupt the entire industry? I think I think to me it's 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 relatively clear. If if you go back just uh, back to 2012 to 2015. You know, it was so easy to scale through especially paid social media and influence mm-hmm. that you could almost create a big company no matter what product you have, right? Yeah, you yeah, yeah. Create a brand that really had a bad product, really had a bad website, but because you could reach so many people so cheap on Facebook and Instagram, mm-hmm. because you could give products away for free to influencers with a million followers, you could really create something big out of almost nothing. And you can also see that, especially a lot of the brands that were created back then, uh, especially these D2C, quickly created e-commerce brands, they had a massive search volume uh, over the, the, a two, three year, year period from 2012 to 15. Mm-hmm. Then suddenly when things became more complicated and prices went up and tracking became harder, et cetera, et cetera, a lot of these companies then tanked because they actually didn't have a proper strategy in place, right? Whereas now the complexity is, is just so much higher and the requirements for the brand, the brand and the products from the consumer point of view have become much more extreme. So I think creating a product just today, a brand just today, not having any substance behind it, not having any reason to be behind it, it's not going to allow you to create something substantial out of it. You need to have a brand that really fulfills the needs and the wants of a certain consumer group. You need to make sure that that brand have a product that really exceeds the expectation of whomever you're targeting. You need to make sure that the way you communicate the product out to your consumers are done based on a full uh, spectrum 
approach where you're using all marketing channels out there so you're not depending dependent on anything we've seen this example mm-hmm. over the past two years in some of our brands facebook costs have increased 100 percent, 200 percent in some cases right if these brands were 100 were a 100 dependent on facebook and if their cost of sale at that point let's say before these changes happened were 30 percent, 40 percent then they could technically go bankrupt from one day to another, more or less, because of these. Yeah, right? yeah, so yeah. I think it's so important that brands today have a full spectrum spectrum strategy where they really diversify their their marketing efforts into a lot of different pathways to understand okay what actually has a return and what what doesn't. Keep keep optimizing towards the things that have a return, and I think over the next two three years, a lot of these strategies are not going to be performance marketing. It's going to be other channels, and exactly what's that going to be? Depends on what products you have, what products you're selling, what brand you have, what position you have, and which countries you're in. Uh, so another thing I wanted to ask you is uh, the process of building a team uh, when it comes to Blazor versus when it comes to other companies. What do you find as some of the most important aspects of of that part? What does your core team at Blazor, you know, consist of versus some of the the other companies? I mean, in, in Blazor, we have obviously the the founding team, and then we have um, we have basically some some directors that are taking care of their group of uh, of, of companies because now we are involved in mm-hmm. around twenty five cases. So we have also individuals that are taking care of a bunch of cases at the same time that they are basically super supervising and mm-hmm. advising. So that's kind of the the executives, so to speak. We also have a team. We our team is also spread out globally right now. We have our head office in Copenhagen, but we also have a team in. In Los Angeles, uh, right now, where we also have mm-hmm. executive uh, sitting. Beyond that, we we have tech uh, internally, both sitting in Copenhagen, but also offshore in offshore and in Eastern Europe. They are servicing all the brands internally that requires the service. Mm-hmm. We then also have central performance marketing capabilities that take care of basically the channels that are high volume on on, on spend and reach. And to us, that is at the moment at least uh, Google and uh, and Facebook. Uh, over time, I think that will that will change. But right now, Google and Facebook uh, is taking up a big part of our marketing marketing budget. And then we also mm-hmm. have operational and logistics teams that that sits, sits uh, centrally that are basically taking care of of ensuring that products are really reaching uh, A to B in a, in a very effective and efficient way on, on an ongoing basis. So these are the functions that are right now centralized. Everything else is then decentralized mm-hmm. in the different teams. Uh, sorry, the different brands. And these brands, they, they they of course have to build the teams based on what they need, right? And they have to build yeah, culture yeah. that fits their brand. So as an example, in, in Norgreen right now, obviously Norgreen has a really strong sustainability positioning. So it's also very important to us that mm-hmm. hiring that brand are, I, w- I wouldn't say sustainable activists, but at least have a strong interest and passion for making the world a better place from that point of view, right? In Scandinavian Bar Labs, you know, that brand, also focuses on sustainability, obviously, but it's it's a brand that is extremely driven by repeatability and subscription. So they have a lot of experts within that field that Nokring don't have. So I think the different brands, of course, they compose their own teams depending on requirements, but also based on the culture they want to create. You, as as a member of that, let's let's call it as you mentioned, executive team. How do you how do you impact the growth of of Nordgreen or the company that you're responsible for? Are you just like a you know a board member who oversees everything and has that you know veto rights? No, no, no. You need to be doing that, not this. Or are you more operationally involved? No, we're we're very operational. We're very operational. So I mean, we're mm-hmm. completely hands on in uh, in uh, in our core cases. 
I'm I'm sit sit some time in in business manager and and, and change things uh, in our in our Facebook campaigns uh, and have uh, mm-hmm. communicate communication with some of our influence and things like that. Of course, not in in a level that. I had in the beginning where we had to build everything from scratch, but we're still very, very hands-on. I know Christian's yeah, yeah. example is, is really hands-on in Chamberlain Coffee over in the US, right? He sits in Copenhagen, but is active every single night at CET time to, to make sure that he's uh, mm-hmm. involved in, in that case. So we're definitely not just board members that, that raises our veto rights whenever it makes sense. We are much more uh, <laughs> much more hands-on um, hands-on than that. I think that also that it, that that is also what has given us the edge that that we have, um, but but of course we can't be hands on in in every single case that that's impossible and and for that reason we are also just kind of sitting as advisors in a lot in a lot of our other cases where we meet with the teams on a weekly or biweekly or a monthly basis and and give them that the, mm-hmm. uh, the input that, that they need. We also have the the the, the, the fortunate position uh, that that we we speak to a lot of people on a continuous basis within the scene, right? Both within the, the VC scene, mm-hmm. the scene, the marketing scene, and we get a lot of interesting insights and that we can then share with the founders in the brands that they can then apply to their to to their brands, right? And that can then hopefully make a make a difference. So we are in some cases we're very active, in others we are more acting as, as advisors, but we are mm-hmm. at the end of the day very hands-on compared to uh, board members in a, in a conventional sense. How would you describe let's say your your management style? What were some successes or failures that shaped you as a founder, as a leader? I think what, what I learned, especially in the UK when I worked for, for, for the HUD group, is that in a company that really wants to achieve scale and wants to achieve a big revenue value, uh, profit value within a, a short time period, mm-hmm. um, and really get into this hyper growth stage, you need to get into a mental positioning where you accept that there will be failures on the way and where you accept that perfection is not the way to go if you want to move fast i, I love the, uh, the 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 quote that the, that perfection is the true enemy of execution i think that is something that that all startups need to apply if they want to reach the next level and want to 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 run fast and so what i learned is that you know you can you can build a company and you know be extremely uh data-driven and extremely kind of um, mm-hmm. thought through in the process, create, you know, a hundred page slide deck about everything you want to do, et cetera, et cetera. But then you're still sitting, sitting there three, four months later and you haven't gotten anywhere. <laughs> so, so to me, what, what I definitely encourage our, our brands to do is always to just, just to jump into it. Of course, they need to have a, a plan in place. Of course, they need to know what they're doing, uh, but they don't need to reach a perfect, a state of perfection before moving on because that often results in results in, in you not moving anywhere so i think that's kind of the the main thing the main philosophy that we apply to our brands in order to reach kind of a hyper growth uh, hyper growth stage we're almost done with our time so i have just two more questions for you before we before we end uh, the first one is what would you say would be some of the biggest benefits of a startup owner partnering with a company builder such as blazer versus building the company the standard way you can always build the, 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 the company yourself if you feel that you have all the, um, the the knowledge required the experience required the capital needed uh, and then just jump into mm-hmm. it uh, without any any advice and any uh, platform that you can you can benefit from but i think what what we what we can 
what we we're giving our brands in, in Blazor is first of all security, right? So we we, mm-hmm. we do come with the, with the funding uh, initially to make sure that you can go from zero to one. We do ensure that if there are any financial problems in any given point in time, we will be there to help. So we all, we always have the back of our companies, and if we don't fund the case, yep, yep. which we actually often do, but if we do not then we will be there to help raise that round um, and be a strong part of, of that process. We obviously have um, have a lot of experiences and uh, and uh, and knowledge that we can we can provide to all the cases that we have on board in uh, in, in Blazor. So whether it's uh, within e-commerce in general or digital marketing or branding or operations or logistics or financing or accounting, we really have uh, everything that is required. We also, as mentioned before, have the uh, the central teams internally that can that can help out whenever whenever needed from both a technology t- technological point of view, but also marketing mm-hmm. point of view and operation point of view. We also have basically we 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 uh, we co-own uh, some some agencies in, in Blazor, and we also own some some technology platforms that our brands can can access mm-hmm. uh, very very cheaply compared to the market rates. So so there are there are. A lot of value points that, that that are being brought into the cases that 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 is a part of Blazor. We also, it's it's a quite low practical thing, but actually also creates a lot of value, right? We all of our core cases they sit together. They sit together. Uh, not all core cases, but but yep. most of them. Yep. We all try to consolidate as many cases as as we can into one place. So when you enter the building, you can, you know, a person from Norgreen can go talk to Scandinavian Bar Labs or can talk to. Mm-hmm. Uh, can talk to one of our agencies or can talk to the central team so everything is also there in one place so if anything is needed is you don't need to schedule a call or arrange a meeting or anything you just go to the person you have to talk to yeah maximum maximum amount of knowledge sharing yeah it's it's just it's really synergies across the board and even if you need to talk to a person within blazer that is not situated in that office or a case in blazer that sits somewhere else either in the country in denmark or abroad you know, people are just extremely helpful. People know that we are we are there. Mm-hmm. For, uh, we're here to help each other. We here to help each other reach the next level. Uh, and and this is something that I think a lot of the the people involved in in, in the group uh, appreciates very much. Okay, Vasily. Uh, last question: What can we expect from Blazer and your companies during this year and the next? What are some of your next steps? What do you wish to achieve? You know, the past five years we've we've really had. Uh, we of course we are very agile and nimble, and we do new things all the time in the way we do business. But we have been following a playbook that is cru- quite stringent in the sense of in, in the way of how we do things, uh, especially from mm-hmm. a, from a, from a growth point of view. So both marketing and, and marketing uh, and, and e-commerce optimization point of view. I think that part of, of 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 the business will change a lot in the coming year, coming two years. Because of all the constraints and the challenges uh, we, we are seeing, I think we are going to see a bit more consolidation from a market market perspective. Historically, we have really gone broad. We've had a lot of websites in a lot of different countries. We have uh, sold cross-border to, to, to more than mm-hmm. I think 140 countries. I think now it's going to be more, uh, more focused on, on, on certain core markets, thereby looking much bigger in a smaller space than look relatively small in a very, very big territory. Uh, and this goes back to what we discussed before, right? That branding becomes more important than ever now. Uh, mm-hmm. that having a good product and a strong position and a very clear targeting becomes more important than ever. So I think uh, I think what we're going to, going to see from that avenue is going to change quite a bit in how we do things in Blazor. And then in Blazor, we're also going to, in general, invest more into 
software and technology. Uh, historically, it's been mm-hmm. very much D2C focused, so D2C e-com focused. Now we yep, yep. To invest in technology that our entire portfolio of brands can then leverage. Uh, so as an example, recently we, we acquired an influencer platform called Dream Influencers, where you can both mm-hmm. uh, identify, scout, reach out to communicate and uh, communicate with influencers, but also take care of the entire management, content created, creation, payments out of things uh, in, in, in one place, right? That, that, that's one investment. And um, it's a platform I definitely believe a lot in. I believe a lot in, in, in the team that has, that we've brought into, into place as part of the deal. But we're going to do more of these kinds of investments going forward, not necessarily within influencers, but in technology that supports mm-hmm. e-commerce, right? Um, so that, that's also yeah, yeah. that place is going to have more of going forward. Yeah, that sounds amazing. I mean, you're basically becoming the central hub of all the supporting activities that your core companies will need. It's all about value creation and impact, right? So we, we try to really optimize mm-hmm. that and maximize that on a continuous basis. I'm really looking forward to seeing all of that happen. <laughs> okay, Vasily, uh, we're done with our time. I really want to thank you for joining me on Highway to Scale and for sharing all of these great insights about you know your industry, about the way you build companies, and of course, giving great advice for our young listeners who are just looking to launch their companies onto the market. Thanks a lot for having me, Dorian. It was a pleasure. And we are done. But before you sign off, don't forget to subscribe if you haven't done that already, so you'll get notified when we publish new episodes. And leave us a review if you enjoyed this podcast and you learned something new. It'll be highly appreciated. And that's it. I'm Dorian. You've been listening to Highway to Scale. And I'll see you all in the next episode. (laughs) 